Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Later, we will conduct a question and answer session, and instructions will follow at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. At this time, I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Thank you very much, Stephanie, and I too would like to welcome everyone to today's Cancer Care Connect workshop, Highlights of the Affordable Care Act. And I know this is a long-awaited program by many of you, and um, this is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer-related organizations, and it really is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. Now, we have over 870 participants on the call today, so there are 870 of you on the call today, and you come from all over the United States. And we also have international participants from Canada, Egypt, India, Taiwan, Tunisia, and the United Kingdom. So really from all over the world. And there's a lot of global interest in, um, in the Affordable Care Act as well. So clearly, um, both in the U.S. and internationally, this is a great um, area of interest. Today's program was made possible by Onyx Pharmaceuticals, an Amgen subsidiary, Teva Pharmaceuticals, Millennium, the Takeda Oncology Company, Genentech, a member of the Roche Group, and Lilly. And I really want to thank them for their support of this program today and for their collaboration, corporate collaboration, making today's program possible. Now, you have received some information from Cancer Care, and in that information, there is an evaluation form, and I'm going to ask all of you to take a moment at the end of today's program and complete that evaluation form. When you think about it, who but each of you can best actually tell us the programs you would like to us to offer going forward? Indeed, we have been offering um, information about the Affordable Care Act a few times a year based on your request that we do that. So please tell us what you'd like us to do, and we'll try very hard to do it. We're in the process of planning all of our programs for 2015, so your feedback could not come at a, more, at a better time, actually. Now, we have wonderful speakers today. I want to begin by introducing our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Nupur Rajay. Dr. Rajay is Associate Professor, Department of Medicine, Harvard Medical School, Director, Center for Multiloma, Division of Hematology and Oncology, Massachusetts General Hospital. And Dr. Rajay is going to set the context for the program today by talking about cancer, its direct and indirect costs, and also the importance of communicating with your healthcare team about your concerns in terms of, of the cost of care. And it's now my pleasure to turn this program over to Dr. Rajay. Thank you, Carolyn. It is an honor for me to be on this call today. We are discussing a very important and relevant topic regarding the Affordable Care Act and how it relates to each one of us and how it will impact oncology care in general. I hope to set the stage here with a little bit of perspective and then the other speakers who follow will provide you with detail with respect to your care. This is new to all of us and we are all learning along the way. Therefore, having the expertise put together by Cancer Care on this call today is going to be very helpful in educating and informing us and hopefully alleviating some of the anxieties which we believe mainly stem from our lack of understanding of how this is all going to impact our care. We are at a very exciting time in cancer care where new diagnostic tools are leading to early detection innovative therapies and improved outcomes with respect to quality of life and survival. These innovations, however, all come at a cost incurred by cancer patients, either directly or indirectly. The paradigm of cancer care has shifted dramatically so that the trend is towards oral targeted agents 
more outpatient care and excellent supportive strategies. These strategies are, however, expensive, with average cost of drugs alone amounting to thousands of dollars. Cancer patients, therefore, incur a wide range of cancer-related out-of-pocket costs. A diagnosis of cancer is a life-changing diagnosis impacting not only the individual, but has far-reaching impacts on the caregivers and family members. Financial adjustments include using savings, borrowing money, relying on family and friends for direct and indirect financial help, and cutting back on household spending. Financial disruption is not uncommon. Working people have to take time away from work. Family members require time to support their loved ones, all of which can result in decreased incomes for families. The cost of cancer care is rising, and spending on expensive, innovative anti-cancer agents is likely to come under scrutiny as healthcare payers are confronted by the challenges of resource limitations in the face of increasing demands. Indirect costs account for the major part of total attributable costs to cancer and are dominated mainly by the loss of productivity on an individual's part specifically those of working-age patients who are unable to work because of a diagnosis of cancer. The cost of cancer drugs alone can amount to as much as 12%, and if you put it in the context of the general health care cost, it accounts for about 5% of all cost of drugs in medicine. Population-level data, however, suggests that with all of the advances in cancer, with the use of novel drugs, Together with the advances that we've made in screening and other aspects of care, these do impact survival so that patients are living longer, living better, with improved qualities of life. This, therefore, will lead to a reduction in the indirect cost, and therefore there will be an increase in all of these innovative treatments afforded to patients. Now, because of this ever-changing landscape of cancer therapies, and now the evolving role also of healthcare reform and the Affordable Care Act, patients and caregivers can sometimes be confused, can be scared, and access to healthcare can sometimes be an issue. It is therefore very important that we communicate with your healthcare providers and your team. And I do want to underscore the importance of who that team really is. You're not alone with this disease. Your care team, in my view, includes your doctors, your nurses, your social workers, and most importantly, your family members and uh, friends. Involving all of them and using their support is going to help you make this journey with cancer a lot easier. It's useful and important to discuss some of your issues around financial burdens because all of us know that uh, you will experience them in your journey with cancer. And the reason to do this would be to allow them to help you with some of these. Your team, including your social worker, will help you navigate some of these difficult situations. The subsequent speakers are going to provide you with insights into this Affordable Care Act, which will provide insurance coverage to the majority of patients and access to state-of-the-art therapies, which have made such a big difference in cancer care today. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Roger. That was really an excellent um, overview and introduction to this call. I, I can't thank you enough, and I know we'll have questions for you during the Q&A. Thank you. And our next speaker is Ms. Naomi Seiler, and Ms. Seiler is Associate Research Professor, Department of Health Policy, Milken Institute School of Public Health, the George Washington University. Ms. Seiler is going to address the Affordable Care Act in 2014 and increasing insurance coverage, promoting access to health care. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. Seiler. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I find it hard to believe that it's already been nearly five years since the Affordable Care Act was passed, and we're about to enter the second round of open enrollment under the law. But in thinking about what the law does, it's still important to look back and consider why it was necessary. So as a bit of backdrop to today's discussion, I'm going to talk about why the law came to be and its major goals and provisions. Before the Affordable Care Act, many Americans had no access to health coverage. For some, the problem was financial. They couldn't afford the premiums. Others were simply excluded on the basis of pre-existing conditions, or they were charged exorbitant premiums because of those conditions. Some people even had their insurance canceled based on honest mistakes that they made in their applications, often right when their health care costs were rising due to illness. So the primary goal of the law was to change this scenario by giving Americans access to health insurance coverage that's comprehensive, affordable, and in place when people need it. The law seeks to achieve this in a few ways. First of all, the Act expands access to public and private insurance. It lets states include more people in their Medicaid programs, and it also created health insurance marketplaces, also sometimes called exchanges, where individuals and small businesses can buy health coverage. The law also raises the bar for what health insurance must cover, because health insurance is only helpful when it covers the services that people need, both for prevention and treatment. The law requires individual and group plans to cover 10 categories of essential health benefits, including prescription drugs, outpatient care, and lab tests. It also requires almost all plans to cover preventive services, which include many cancer screenings as well as chemo prevention for breast cancer. The law also makes health insurance more affordable. People who are at lower income levels can get subsidies to help pay monthly premiums for plans that they buy through the exchanges. Some people are also eligible for help with additional cost sharing like deductibles, coinsurance, and copayments. And plans that are sold through exchanges cannot charge people more based on their health status. Finally, the law includes a broad set of consumer protections in the health insurance market, which are extremely important for people with cancer and other conditions. Plans can no longer set lifetime limits on coverage, and most plans can no longer set annual limits on coverage. Plans cannot cancel coverage just because of an honest mistake or technical omission on an initial application for insurance. There are now annual caps on what individuals and families have to pay out of pocket for health care. And as of 2014, Almost all plans must cover people, regardless of any pre-existing conditions. We're going to hear more from my co-panelists on how these and other provisions of health reform can help you and your loved ones and your clients get important health coverage and care. And I'm happy to answer any questions during the Q&A. 
Well, thank you so much, Mrs. Seiler. That's that's really was um, very informative and and very helpful to look at the history of the um, of the Affordable Care Act. Thank you so much. And our next presenter is uh, Dr. David Truman. Dr. Truman is a lecturer in law, Columbia University School of Law. And Dr. Truman is going to address the major provisions and benefits of the Affordable Care Act in 2014 and elimination of pre-existing condition denials. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Dr. Truman. Thank you very much. I greatly appreciate the opportunity to be available to speak at this conference. Um, I think that, that everyone should recognize that January 1st, 2014 was a significant date for everyone with cancer or everyone with um, uh, any type of health condition that, that is uh, something that we require some significant payment for. The Affordable Care Act, uh, which indeed, as Ms. Salas said, was enacted five years ago, um, uh, provides individuals of all income levels the opportunity to obtain insurance or health care payment. The goal of the Affordable Care Act was to expand health care coverage to everyone, uh, all U.S. citizens and legal immigrants, and make that health care more affordable. As a psychologist, because I'm an ex-psychologist, as a psychologist, I dealt with insurance companies and, and their restrictions on access to coverage of my patients. As an attorney, I assist individuals with exactly those kinds of things, and the Affordable Care has been extremely helpful in giving everyone access to health care coverage. The Affordable Care Act has attempted to make coverage available to all and to provide consumer protections so that insurance companies uh, do not engage in kind of conduct that limits people's access to their benefits. So I, if we think about the Affordable Care Act, I think we can, can divide it into two main areas in terms of who gets access to coverage. One is people who will be able to enroll in Medicaid, and Ms. Wolf will be speaking about that in a little bit. And second is everyone else will be able to obtain coverage, uh, insurance coverage through the exchanges, as Ms. Sala said. The exchanges are really a, a place where everyone can go to obtain um, rates on health care plans and see what plans are available to them. The best place for everyone to start is healthcare.gov. It is the federal website that has um, access to plans for um, about 35 uh, states uh, in the country. The rest of the states have their own websites, but if you go to healthcare.gov, you will be directed to um, uh, your own state website if your state has an exchange. The importance of this is that everyone then gets to look at the plans that are available to them, gets to see what the coverage is, and gets to choose based on their income and based on, on their um, requirements about co-payments the plan they would like to use. Um, most of the plans uh, will be placed on, on the uh, exchanges, will, will be able to be identified by everyone in terms of who their providers are, and one can search the plans to see who their providers are. The Affordable Care Act has provided this access so as to allow everyone who has access to insurance to be able to determine whether they indeed can obtain some type of subsidy payment for their insurance. The Affordable Care Act allows individuals with incomes between 138% and 400% of the federal poverty level, that's roughly $15,000 to, 15, to $60,000, to obtain health care coverage but get a subsidy for the coverage. So most individuals who, who have um, uh, difficulty with obtaining coverage because of income will probably be able to obtain subsidies on the exchange that allow them to purchase, income, uh, purchase insurance. It's particularly important for individuals with cancer who may have 
have indeed had to stop work or have limited work uh, time and have limited income. The, the Affordable Care Act really is an opportunity for them to, to find a way to purchase insurance. Now, the important thing and probably the most important thing about the Affordable Care Act is that insurance companies can no longer discriminate between people based on their health care condition. Regardless of your health care condition, regardless of a pre-existing condition, the insurance companies have to provide insurance for you. The insurance can be purchased off the exchanges as well, but by purchasing insurance through the exchanges, people are able to potentially obtain subsidies. All insurance policies that are offered now, um, whether individual or small group health insurance policies, have to have 10 essential health benefits, and those 10 essential health benefits really cover all the types of health care that people need. So right now, everyone is, is pretty much guaranteed coverage, guaranteed coverage that is good coverage that will extend to almost all medical needs, and the only difference be, differences between plans is the amount of money that people pay in co-payments and deductibles as well premiums and that's in, that's going to be an individual decision that people are going to have to make when they select the plan some of the other important changes that, that the Affordable Care Act has brought to insurance, as I said before, and as Ms. Oliver had said, really are protections for individuals. So there are no more lifetime or annual caps on coverage. If you purchase a plan through the exchange, there's no longer an annual or a lifetime cap. Even if you purchase coverage outside of the exchange, there are no more lifetime or annual caps. Healthcare plans required to cover uh, preventive services, most preventive services, with no cost to the patient. Um, when rating individuals, when, when setting up the exact cost of the premiums, health plans are only allowed to use the following four things to determine the cost of the plans, the age of an individual, where the individual lives, tobacco use, and the number of family members. Health care, health status is no longer one of the issues that insurance companies are able to use. So insurers are now prohibited from denying coverage or charging high premiums to anyone based on a pre-existing condition. This had been an extremely difficult area for people. Many individuals could not obtain coverage with a pre-existing condition or had to pay significantly more. The Affordable Care Act eliminates any pre-existing coverage limitation, including any pre-existing coverage uh, waiting period. Um, the Affordable Care Act also does a couple of other very important things, one which Ms. Wolf will talk about subsequently, which is expands the ability of people to appeal any denials by their insurance companies and gives everyone the right to appeal to an external independent reviewer, uh, appeal the, their insurance company's denials. The second is the Affordable Care Act has provided that um, everyone who, in, who is um, uh, involved in a clinical trial will have their health insurance plans pay the cost of the coverage routine patient costs for items and services furnished in connection with participation in the trial. And insurance companies can no longer discriminate against individuals based on their participation. Anyone with cancer who's enrolled in a clinical trial at phase one or above, or anyone with a, a life-threatening disease who's enrolled in a phase one or, or above clinical trial will have their costs paid for by the insurance company if the clinical trial does not pay for those routine uh, costs. Uh, 
Um, so uh, the Affordable Care Act has brought significant changes, created significant benefits for individuals, has provided the safety net that everyone has always looked for who has cancer or other significant illness, and has made certain that individuals, even with limited income, can obtain health insurance coverage regardless of their health condition. 2014 brought in a new era. Uh, open enrollment for the Affordable Care Act begins on November 15th, and it's very important that if you are eligible to enroll in the Affordable Care Act, then you should do that. It begins uh, on November 15th, unless you have some type of, of um, qualifying circumstance, like a change in job or uh, a move, which case you could enroll at some other time. But everyone should watch for the enrollment date starting this weekend, and as I say, go to healthcare.gov to start the process of obtaining this, this insurance, which will be Certainly, certainly a boon for many, many people in the country. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Truman. Very informative, and actually um, the timing is incredibly uh, very good for people to hear this call today so that they can go ahead and, um, and think of enrolling uh, if they haven't enrolled already. Thank you so much. And our next presenter is uh, Deborah Wolf. Deborah is Senior Attorney. Uh, senior Supervising Attorney, Legal Health, New York Legal Assistance Group, New York Legal Assistance Group, NILAC. And uh, um, Ms. Wolf is a frequent presenter on our programs, and she is going to present on the insurance exchanges, Medicare and closing the donut hole, Medicaid, and the appeals process. It's my pleasure to turn the program over to Ms. Wolf. Thank you, Dr. Messner. Ms. Saylor and Dr. Truman covered a lot of important information regarding the Affordable Care Act. As discussed, starting this year, insurers must sell and renew health insurance regardless of health status. They cannot deny coverage due to pre-existing conditions or charge someone a higher premium because they have an illness. A health insurance marketplace now operates in every state or at healthcare.gov, and these sites allow comparison of health plans and determine someone's eligibility for subsidized coverage as well as Medicaid coverage, which I'll discuss in a bit. All plans must cover the same essential health benefits, as Ms. Saylor mentioned, and some of these include outpatient and emergency services, hospitalization, mental health and substance use services, prescription drugs, and chronic disease management. There are currently four levels of plans offered in the marketplace, and all plans sold through the exchange cover the essential health benefits. The differences are in the cost sharing required of the consumer. Each, levels, each level offers different premiums covering different levels of medical expenses. There's the bronze, bronze plan, which pays 60% of covered benefits, the silver plan covering 70%, the gold plan, which covers 80%, and the highest, the platinum plan, which covers 90% of covered medical costs. The higher the level, the higher the premium, but with less out-of-pocket costs, which could include deductibles, co-pays, or co-insurance. And depending on your income, Subsidies may be available for some of the plans to help reduce the monthly premium. These plans are HMOs, so each will have a panel of in-network providers. So it's important to do your homework and to look at each plan offered to find the best options. 
Also remember, even with the best plan, there's a 10% coinsurance. And given the cost of treatment, even 10% can be very high. The plans, however, do have an annual maximum out-of-pocket cost limit. And in 2014, this maximum is $6,350 for an individual plan and $12,700 for a family plan. And that includes deductibles, coinsurance, copayments. Now, specifically for cancel-related benefits, plans are required to cover proven preventive care, such as mammograms and colonoscopies. Preventive care must be free to patients in new health plans in Medicare or those newly eligible for Medicaid. Those with a cancer diagnosis cannot be denied or charged more for coverage. As Dr. Truman mentioned, coverage is available for patients who participate in clinical trials. And there are other specific changes for consumers covered under Medicare and Medicaid, which I will now discuss. Medicare and Medicaid are both government-sponsored health insurance. And I'll begin with Medicare, which is a federal program with rules that are uniform to participants in all 50 states. Medicare is available to most people age 65 or older who are citizens or permanent residents. And if under age 65, a person who's been receiving Social Security disability benefits for a period of 24 months. Medicare is not available to others except with some very limited exceptions. Medicare coverage consists of a number of parts. Part A, which provides free hospital coverage, Part B, medical insurance, which requires a monthly premium. Part D, the prescription drug insurance plans, which are provided through private insurance companies that have contracts with the government. And there is also Part C, which allows private health insurance companies, such as HMOs and PPOs, to provide Medicare benefits. These Medicare private health plans are sometimes known as Medicare Advantage plans. So here's the most important things to know about the Affordable Care Act if you have Medicare. Similar to private insurance, you'll get more preventive services for less. Medicare now covers a range of no-cost screenings for cancer, diabetes, and other chronic diseases, including mammograms or colonoscopies, without coinsurance or deductible. You also can get a free yearly wellness visit. Your Medicare coverage is protected. Under the Affordable Care Act, your existing Medicare-covered benefits won't be reduced or taken away, and the life of the Medicare Trust Fund has been extended to at least 2029. The biggest Medicare benefit is regarding Part D prescription drug coverage, which is known for its donut hole, a coverage gap during which you pay 100% of drug costs. So for someone with multiple or expensive expensive medication, this donut hole can be very expensive. The Affordable Care Act improves Medicare drug coverage, and these improvements include reducing expenses for those in the donut hole now and a gradual elimination of the donut hole gap by 2020. During this gradual elimination, recipients will receive additional savings each year on their prescription drugs until the donut hole is closed. 
This includes the reduction of copayments for name brand and generic drugs, which will decrease by a percentage annually. So starting in 2015, as an example, a person will reach the donut hole coverage gap after their plan has, they and their plan have spent $2,960 on covered drugs. They'll receive a 55% discount on brand name formulary drugs and a 35% discount on all generic formulary medications to help reduce the impact of the donut hole gap. The Affordable Care Act also provides additional assistance for low-income beneficiaries and includes outreach programs to ensure that more people who are eligible for a Part D low-income subsidy are able to enroll. Now moving to Medicaid, Medicaid is a federal state partnership with shared authority and financing. Eligibility rules are established mainly by each state and vary depending on where you live, so it's important to know your state Medicaid requirements and regulations. Access is based on being low income with a limit on how much you can have in income, assets, and resources. For those who are disabled or elderly with higher income, one can often become eligible through special Medicaid programs or the use of trusts. Medicaid coverage is free and comprehensive. The Affordable Care Act provides for a number of Medicaid reforms. The law fills in prior gaps so that Medicaid will cover more Americans under age 65, making less than 133% of the poverty limit through the Medicaid expansion. This expands coverage to more lower income people, including groups such as childless couples that have not always have had access to coverage. And as, as an example of what those percentages mean, as a single person, the limit, the income limit for Medicaid coverage currently would be $1,343 with the Medicaid expansion. So as of now, only about half the states have implemented this Medicaid expansion. So again, it's important to understand your state regulations. The Affordable Care Act also simplifies the application process for Medicaid and that eligibility and enrollment will be much simpler and will be coordinated with the Affordable um, Care Act insurance exchanges as we've discussed. One application will determine eligibility for Medicaid or a plan through the marketplace with a subsidy. The Affordable Care Act requires that Medicaid provide all newly eligible adults with the same benchmark benefit package that meets the minimum essential health benefits that will be available in the health insurance, health insurance exchanges as mentioned earlier. The goal is to enhance the quality of care for all Americans regardless of whether they have private insurance, Medicare, or Medicaid. One of the goals of the Affordable Care Act is to hold insurance companies accountable, and there will be similar appeal rights for Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance, as I will now discuss. The Affordable Care Act contains many legal protections with the goals of putting the consumer back in charge of their health coverage and removing insurance company or barriers between patients and their doctors, as Dr. Truman mentioned earlier. The Affordable Care Act guarantees your right to appeal any adverse decision by your insurance company and expands your rights to ask that your plan reconsider any denial of payment. An adverse decision can be a denial of payment for reasons such as medical necessity, 
are not a covered service or lack of preauthorization. There's always been some method to appeal a healthcare decision, but those rights are now expanded. To start, health plans and insurance companies have to tell you why they've de decided to deny a claim with very specific information. You're also now entitled to a copy, free of charge, of any medical evidence considered or re relied upon in connection with your claimed denial in or order to fully understand the denial and to prepare your appeal to the insurer. With the claim denial, with any claim denial, the first step should always be to call your insurance company to determine if the denial can be easily resolved. And this is sometimes the case. It may be a coding error or simply that they need more information from your doctor. But if the matter can't be resolved by speaking with the insurance company, you have the right to file an appeal directly to your insurance company. This is when you ask the insurance company to determine if its decision to deny coverage was a correct one, and often your doctor or medical provider will assist you with this appeal. The problem is that with these appeals to the insurance company, there's often a conflict of interest and in that the company paying for the coverage is also making the decision. But even so, a good percentage of appeals to insurance companies are approved. Under the Affordable Care Act, your insurance company must conduct a full and fair review of its decision. If the case is urgent, your insurance company must speed up this process. If your insurance company denies the appeal, you then will have the right to request an external review. And your insurance company is required to give you notice about your right to file the external review and what the process is. An external review gives you the right to file the second appeal to an outside, objective, and independent panel, no matter where you live and what type of health insurance you have. This means that independent medical professionals with no financial stake in the claim make the decision. The insurance company no longer gets the final say over many benefit decisions. External reviews can also be expedited if it's an urgent matter. And if the external reviewer overturns your insurance company's denial, they must give you the payments or services you requested in your claim. Understanding your rights and responsibilities under this and other laws is important. It's important to read your health care policy, or at the very least a summary of your policy, so that you understand your coverage, what is required of you, how to appeal, and any deadlines imposed. Even with the Affordable Care Act, appeal deadlines are strict, so make sure to read your explanation of benefits from the insurance company and respond on time. I know it's often difficult to keep on top of insurance matters with so much else going on, but these new protections will expand your rights and help you navigate any insurance issues or questions that come up. Most states have also implemented consumer assistance programs that expand your that that will give you information on how to appeal and the best way to appeal and the information about the consumer assistance programs can be found at the um, health exchange website thank you thank you very much uh, well that was wonderful and very very informative and a lot of information for people to really better understand the Affordable Care Act and how to access all the benefits. And our next speaker is Sarah Kelly. Um, Ms. Kelly is an oncology social worker, 
She's coordinator of older adult services at Cancer Care, and she'll be addressing navigating the Affordable Care Act, what are patient assistance programs and copay foundations, linking you to needed resources and information, and Cancer Care's free psychosocial services. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to Ms. Kelly. Thank you, Carolyn. And I'd actually like to thank everyone on the call. I think this has been an amazing call just in terms of getting this good information. So as uh, Carolyn said, I'm an oncology social worker here at Cancer Care. And, you know, we've been talking about the Affordable Care Act and really speaking about a major concern for people with cancer, you know, with all of this is how am I going to pay for this? How can I pay for my care? And coverage, of course, is a huge part of this. Um, Dr. Rajay started just talking about the expense of the illness, the financial concerns. Um, it's an understandable source of stress for patients and for family and loved ones. But I think having an open conversation about the cost of all of this, how to get coverage and the best coverage for you, it just helps you become better informed about the financial options that are available to you. And it also, I think, can reduce the financial impact of your illness and also reduce that stress that comes along with that. I think when it comes to managing medical expenses, it really pays to be informed and upfront. And so, you know, a big piece of this actually that all the speakers talked about is just understanding uh, A, where to go for help, and B, what the policies are. And I really can't stress enough how important that is. If you're looking through the policies, you really want to understand what the benefits are that they're offering, and you want to contact providers with questions, anything that comes up for you in terms of that. You want to know, okay, what's the portion of the medical expenses that I'm responsible for paying? Am, are my doctors, is my medical team, is this treatment center a part of the plan? You know, are they, would they be, would you be able to get covered if you're still seeing these doctors? And, you know, with this, it's looking through the policies really carefully and understanding these two huge issues. Also, knowing that providers, once you are connected, may be able to provide you with a case manager, and that's someone to really help you also navigate some of this. The other piece of this is knowing what your expenses are sort of right now. You want to know what your daily today expenses are. You also want to kind of figure out, okay, well, what have I been paying so far in this? Um, and that helps you even once you've got the, the new coverage. You really want to be able to sort of chart what you're spending. You want to catch billing errors. So really keeping a record, um, a log, any of these things of your expenses is going to be helpful. And Dr. Rajay talked about this, and this is also huge. Talk to your healthcare team. Talk to them as soon as you can about your financial situation. It's so important. You know, I think often healthcare providers don't always ask patients about their insurance coverage or their ability to pay for out-of-pocket expenses. Additionally, many patients don't feel comfortable sharing their personal information with their provider, but it's really important, I think, to resolve the financial issues because these issues are increasing your stress, but they also could maybe limit access to needed treatment. So what you want to do is have those conversations with the medical team. I think patients and providers can work together to devise ways of reducing costs in all of this. And they can also connect you with patient financial services. Department social workers, Dr. Rajay talked about that. That's someone that can help you navigate care. And also patient advocates can help you navigate all of this. And, you know, it can sound like a tall order to have to go through all of this, especially when you're not feeling well. Um, but there are some organizations that can help you with this, and I'm going to talk about that piece next. 
so uh, several people on the call have already mentioned healthcare.gov. This is the official government website managed by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services presenting all health reform details. And I have used the site, been on the site. It's pretty user-friendly. And, you know, it really tells you sort of step-by-step step what to do. It gives you a breakdown of how to go about doing all of this. And it also gives you a link on the website to local resources. So in all states, there are um, people organizations um, that can also help you navigate this. So it will give you a link to all of that and also links to the exchanges by state. You can also call them. So I know that online is not the easiest for everyone. You can reach them on the phone and actually talk to a person. And I'm going to give you that number. It's 1-800-318-2596. And you can, as I said, get personal assistance and also help in languages other than English. So I'm just going to repeat this so you guys get it. And it should actually be somewhere. Uh, Carolyn, do they have access to this number somewhere Yes, else? you're going to give. They're all going to have Wonderful. that information. Yes, thank you. Great, thanks. So let me just repeat it again. It's 1-800-318-2596. So that is the first place to go. I definitely recommend doing that first. And then where else can you go to get help? Again, your treatment center. And I know we spoke about this a moment ago just in terms of being open with the medical team about financial concerns but also your treatment center will have social workers, navigators, um, you know, the financial department, places and people that can help you navigate some of this so you're not doing this on your own. I'm going to mention a couple of other places or about three other places. The American Cancer Society, um, they have a program called the Health Insurance Assistance Services. It's also known as HIAS. And they help educate patients and their loved ones about the Affordable Care Act and also insurance options that are available to them. You can reach them on their website, which is www.cancer.org. And then you can also call them at the National Cancer Information Center at 1-800-227-2345. So that's for the American Cancer Society. I also recommend the Patient Advocate Foundation, and their main mission is to provide uh, effective mediation. They have arbitration services to help patients really remove any obstacles to care, and that includes medical debt, insurance issues like we've been discussing today, um, also employment issues. Their case managers serve as a liaison between the patient and the insurer, employer and creditors to resolve insurance um, issues, job issues, debt crisis issues. They also have so much information on the Affordable Care Act. Um, you can reach them on their website, which is patientadvocate.org. Their website has an entire section on the Affordable Care Act, and you'll see it right there on their homepage. And you can also call them again and talk to a person, and that's one 800 532-5284. So I definitely recommend checking in with them. And then I also want to mention the Cancer Legal Resource Center. They're a program, it's actually a joint program with the Disability Rights Legal Center and Loyola Law School. And they provide information uh, and education on cancer-related legal issues. 
They have a national phone assistance line, and they help with insurance concerns. They can help with appeals, which Deborah Wolf was talking about. Um, also, employment rights, leave time, access to care, government benefits, estate planning. They really cover all of this. They are so incredibly helpful. So I definitely, definitely recommend calling them, and I'm going to give you the number. My hope is you have it there in your um, in your brochures, but I'm going to give it to you here. It's 866-843-2572. So if you're Could you repeat look, that, and I'll give people the name of the organization again, yes. Oh, absolutely. So it's 866-843-2572. And can you give them the name of the organization as well? Yes. It is the Cancer Legal Resource Center. And they are a national program, so I definitely recommend calling them. And any of those three have wonderful services. You can also call us at Cancer Care. And I'm going to give you the information on that. I'm sure you have all of that, of course, in your brochures as well. Before we get to that, I'm also going to talk about patient assistance programs and copay foundations. So these really are programs and organizations that help you offset the cost of care. So it could be for medications and copays, which is what you find often in copay foundations and copay organizations. There are also some organizations that can help with day-to-day -day expenses. And I'll talk here just a little bit about cancer care services. We do provide some financial assistance. We provide small grants for transportation, home care, and child care, as well as some funding available for pain and anti-nausea medications oral hormonal medications, lymphedema supplies, and some durable medical equipment. We also have a copay assistance foundation. And our copay foundation is a nonprofit organization that helps people afford insurance copayments for chemotherapy cancer medications. So I'm going to give you just the information to reach us. You can call us at 1-800-813-HOPE. And that's 1-800-813-4673. And then you can also visit our website for more information. And that's www.cancercare.org. So those, uh, those are some resources for our financial assistance. And there are a lot of programs out there. I'm really not going to go over each and every one of them, but I'm going to tell you how to access them. So again, your treatment center is a great place to start. Talking with them about medical concerns, you know, the social worker can definitely provide you with referrals, help you apply at different copay foundations or different patient assistance organizations. You can call us, as I mentioned earlier. We are here to help you navigate some of that. The American Cancer Society is another place. Patient Advocate Foundation, both of those I've mentioned before. There's also the Cancer Financial Assistance Coalition. And I'm just briefly going to mention them. It's a pretty great resource. A group of organizations, including Cancer Care, came together to create a user-friendly online database of resources. You go to their website, and I'm going to give it to you now. It's www.cancerf ac.org, and once you're on that website, it will pull up local and national resources. So those are just a few places to go to to find some more referrals. 
And I'm going to switch gears a little bit right now and talk about another important resource that I think you need on your journey, which is support. And actually, Dr. Rajay talked about this in the very beginning, that you're not alone in this, that your medical team, the doctors, nurses, social workers, but also your support network can be there for you to help you. And I just want to talk very briefly about how cancer care can be a part of uh, that network. So a little bit about us. We're a national nonprofit organization. We provide free professional support services to anyone affected by cancer. Our programs include individual counseling. We do that face-to-face in the New York area and also on the phone nationally. We have support groups, which we provide face-to-face in New York, over the phone nationally, and then we have online groups that we do nationally and internationally. We do education programs like the one we're on today, and then we also provide practical help on how to navigate the healthcare system, which is what we're talking about today. And then, of course, the financial assistance I mentioned earlier. All our services are provided by licensed master's level oncology social workers. They are completely free of charge. And oncology social workers really are trained in how a diagnosis of cancer affects a person and his or her family and friends. We're also trained to help patients and their families tackle the problems that accompany the disease. So today we talked about financial demands. We can help with that. But also physical changes, social adjustment, the psychological impact of cancer, and the overall care. And I think that adjusting to and finding ways of coping with the diagnosis is really an important part of the healing process. And I actually include it as a part of treatment. As you know, um, cancer really affects the whole person, the whole support network, family and friends. Asking for help by joining a support group or by contacting a social worker for counseling can help you. It really is a sign of strength and that really you know you don't have to do this alone. With a support group, you're connecting with others who are going through a similar situation. With the counseling, you really have a space that's yours to voice the concerns. And I feel the connections through these services help lessen the isolation that often comes with a cancer diagnosis or that patients and and family members and friends experience. Feeling well emotionally helps you better deal with a diagnosis or treatment. If you are interested in any of our services, I'm going to repeat the number and uh, the website. You can call us on our Hope Line, and that's 1-800-813-4673. You can also visit us on our website, which is www.cancercare.org. And our website is very comprehensive. You'll find a lot of information on there, not only about our support services, but about all of our programs, as well as literature and publications on your diagnosis, treatment, and also coping as you're going through this. You know, we've learned a lot from today's program. There's been a lot of information for us to digest and get our arms around. Our social workers are here to help you understand what it means for you. So if you have questions about today's call, if you need support, if other concerns are coming up for you, please call us. And remember, you're not alone in this. We're really here to help you. Thanks so much for your attention and the opportunity to talk today. Oh, thank you so much, um, Sarah. That was really um, excellent um, and uh, very lots of information and lots of help in helping everybody understand they got a lot of information today and how to process it. So thank you. We now have time for questions. We have a lot of time for questions, and so I'm going to ask um, uh, Stephanie to explain to all of you how to cure for questions. We're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Stephanie. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you'd like to ask a question, please press star than one on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered and you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. 
Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Elizabeth C. Your line is open. Thank you. Um, I have a question um, that's related to uh, Medicare patients. Um, and where would a resource be that I could go and look for changes that may be occurring in the next few years related to the Affordable Care Act and Medicare? Well, I think that's an excellent question. Uh, Deborah, would you, would you address that? Well, um, I mean, there's not a lot of changes that are, are the, the main changes is, is over the next few years is going to be the reduction, the incremental reduction of the donut hole, um, the gap coverage known as the donut hole. In terms of general Medicare resources, there is a terrific organization called the Medicare Right Center. Um, they have a website. They have a consumer help number, which I don't have in front of me, but if you... Um, go on the computer and look for Medicare rights. Um, they have terrific, terrific information that's, you know, Medicare-specific, and, um, you know, they have information for all 50 states. Excellent. Thank you. And our next question? Our next question comes from Amy B. Your line is open. Yeah, I have a question regarding the preventative services that are covered under the Affordable Care Act. Um, could someone speak to the skin screening, uh, skin screening procedures for skin cancers such as melanoma prevention and other basal cell carcinoma screening in relation to costs and coverages for insurance companies? The literature that I'm finding says that it's at the discretion of the insurance company. How does the Affordable Care Act approach uh, preventative services in regard to skin cancer screening? Well, thank you. That's an excellent question. And Ms. Wolf, could you address that? Well, I, I don't know specific to skin cancer screening, but the one thing I, I can say is this, and perhaps Dr. Truman or Ms. Saylor has, has other information, it does differentiate between preventive care and diagnostic care. So, for example, something that is strictly preventive, um, a, an annual mammogram or, let's say, a colonoscopy every 10 years when there's been no history of cancer is preventive. If there's a suspicion that perhaps somebody has breast cancer or colon cancer and the doctor orders one of these tests, it may not be covered under the preventive care where there is no pay, copay. It may be covered under diagnostic care, in which case your insurance company can charge their usual or normal copay or coinsurance. So I would suspect the rules are same for, for skin cancer tests, although I can't speak specifically to what is or is not covered as preventive care. This is David Truman. I just want to add something. Um, uh, the Affordable Care Act does not require insurers to, to cover the cost of skin cancer screenings. Um, there are some health care providers that will provide that for free regardless of health insurance coverage, but the Affordable Care Act does not uh, list that as one of the, uh, uh, the preventive uh, measures that, for which there will be no copay. Um, of course, you just need to recognize that, that the cost will be for a copay or coinsurance cost for visiting the, the uh, specialist for the visit, um, so that doesn't mean that the cost will be for everything related to skin cancer should one develop it, but simply for the, the co-payment required. The kinds of common preventive services, I think Deborah mentioned this a little bit, the kind of common preventive services included are uh, certain screenings, certain cancer screenings, but, but not skin cancer, 
blood pressure, cholesterol checks, immunizations, regular physical examinations, pediatrician visits, um, tobacco cessation, and certain uh, women's preventive services, um, but the, but not the not the skin cancer services. Um, and this is Naomi yeah. Seiler. Oh, sorry, may I weigh in just one more point on that? Yes, which is that the Affordable Care Act does require coverage without cost sharing of preventive services that are recommended by a certain preventive services task force. Um, and that task force currently does not recommend skin cancer screening, so that is why it is not included. However, they are updating their recommendations, so it is possible that that will change in the short term and that there will be coverage under the Affordable Care Act for skin cancer screening along with some of the other cancers that are already included. Also, I just want to comment that many of our comprehensive centers, many community cancer hospitals as well, do offer um, screenings at no cost, skin cancer screenings that is being offered um, across the board. Dr. Rajay, is, um, is that something that you offer also at Mass General? And, and it's, it is something that many hospitals do offer um, just yeah. in general. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the screenings which have been shown to make a difference, like the colonoscopies and the mammograms, etc., have been recommended by ASCO guidelines, NCCN guidelines. Those are all going to be covered, has already been stated. Uh, you know, we do offer in high-risk patients for skin cancer screening Cases like MGH will offer uh, free uh, screening. It certainly doesn't happen at all institutions, but this is something one needs to inquire about at the specific institution where they are getting their care. I would definitely recommend our caller also call our staff at Cancer Care, but do also please speak to your healthcare team about this because it's important to you, and um, it's very important. You know that, um, that this is an important type of screening, and indeed that your healthcare team also may be able to help you come up with some um, help with this as well. Um, so, and please do call us also at Cancer Care for further um, help on this. And our next question. Our next question comes from Mr. Emil S. Your line is open. Hi. I currently have private insurance that I've had since I worked and now I'm retired and I'll be going on Medicare within the next two years. Will I be entitled to all of the all that the Affordable Care Act offers and how will the recent election results affect uh, future Affordable Care Act laws? Well, thank you. That's an excellent question, Emil. And um, Ms. Celia, could you address that question? Sure. To your first point, um, the Medicare covers some services that um, private plans don't have to cover under the Affordable Care Act, but conversely, there are some, for example, some preventive services that private plans do have to cover that Medicare does not. So it's a, it's a complicated picture. Um, Medicare is pretty comprehensive overall, though, um, so that should you know, I hope that will be a, a transition that, you know, only adds services to, to what you're getting. Um, and I would speak to, you know, directly to a counselor about that. As far as the prospects, you know, there certainly are ongoing um, legal challenges. The the act so far has, has survived those um, for the most part. And I think most people think, you know, now that literally millions of people have health insurance who wouldn't have um, before the act, you know, that there's really momentum on the ground, really broad support um, for continuation and, you know, those of us who, who work, you know, on the act and with, with folks implementing it um, are very optimistic that, that it's here to stay. Excellent. Well, I want to thank all of our speakers. You've been an extraordinary uh, group of speakers today. I, I have to say um, thank you. I want to thank all of you who've been on the call today. You've asked such excellent questions, really very thoughtful questions as well, and, um, and all of you who've been listening as well. Um, I want to remind all of you that this is a one-hour workshop, and that in planning a program like this, 
We know that you have many needs that go far beyond the scope of one hour. And I do want to remind all of you that you do have access to all the services of Cancer Care. So if you have a question and didn't get to ask your question or think of a question in a week or two or want some services from Cancer Care, we are simply a telephone call away. And you can call us at 1-800-813-HOPE. And that we really are available to you all the time. And you can also visit our website, um, www.cancercare.org, where that's a very robust website. Um, but we are actually very much available to all of you, and we have a large staff of oncology social workers, much like Sarah Kelly, um, who are very responsive to your needs and have lots of resources to assist you with. We will also be sending to all of you the additional resources that were mentioned today, so if you don't have them, we'll send them to you. So you'll either get them online, you'll get them um, by, um, by mail, so be sure you all get this inf the additional information as well. Um, Again, we don't want anyone to think that you're alone in coping with cancer. We want you to know that you're now part of this cancer care community. And in so doing, you have access to our oncology social workers here, to our counseling services, to our practical and financial assistance, to our workshops, to our publications, to everything that we have to offer here is available to you at no cost and simply um, a phone call away or a mouse click away. So please do call us, and I want to wish you all a very fine day, and thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop. You may now disconnect, and everyone have a wonderful day.